Shalom, welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians, and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the episode, where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity, and please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today, we're going to discuss something that is verbal but horrific all the same. Over the past number of weeks, Israel, through the Ministry of Defense, through the Army, through the government and Ministry of Foreign Affairs, have provided selective screenings of 47 minutes of live footage of the horrific massacre that took place on October 7th by Hamas terrorists here in Israel. The footage was was captured from body cams, from GoPros, from cell phones, and other images filmed by the terrorists themselves, from CCTV cameras that were on and running anyway, and from the cameras of first responders who were on the scene trying to make sense of the disaster and recovery. We have four incredible, incredible Christian journalists joining us today. You and I were together earlier in the week. You were interviewing me for some stuff that I'm doing. And you made some really, I think, very powerful uh, comment about what you felt as a result of seeing the films that we're talking about. Can you either share that or first perhaps what your impressions were and then what those feelings were? Well, uh, yeah, I sure can, uh, Jonathan. And um, I saw that uh, actually the um, the footage twice. Uh, the first time I saw it, I, I actually was not able to see the entire footage. So I decided to see it, uh, the entire footage again. I actually, John, uh, David Parsons and I were in the same room with the at uh, the government press office. Uh, the first time I saw part of the footage, I was on my way. It was near, it was an army base near Tel Aviv. And uh, I was on my way back from Jerusalem. And actually, I got more emotional uh, after watching it, um, about an hour or so afterwards. And um, there was two words that came to my mind, which I shared with you uh, the other day. It was honor them and uh, honor the victims of October 7th. Uh, they died in such a horrific way, um, and it was so random. Anybody in the in the path of of these Hamas terrorists uh, would just gun down at random. And not only that, but they um, they reveled in it. Uh, there was one part of the the footage where it's just an audio uh, from a WhatsApp, and one of the uh, one of the terrorists actually called his parents in Gaza. And boasting that he killed ten Jews, and uh, it was that was just kind of chilling. That how much he bragged about it, how much he re- reveled in it, and and that was throughout the um, throughout the footage. You see them celebrating. 
that they were killing Jews. And in one other part of the video that really struck me was uh, the time when uh, the terrorists came into a home with a father and two boys. And remember, this is a Saturday morning. It's a Shabbat. And you can imagine, uh, you know, just a relaxing day. Well, they came into the house and the boys and the father went into their safe room and the terrorists came in threw a hand grenade into the safe room. Well, you see the father crumple and he's killed. The two boys are wounded. And, uh, and now these are, these are probably eight or nine year old boys running around in their underwear, just like on a Saturday morning. And they're terrified and they're both wounded. And one is, you know, crying out to the other that we're going to die. And the other one's trying to comfort him. And the terrorist comes in uh, and just nonchalantly opens the uh, refrigerator door and starts taking out uh, something to drink. Uh, and and it, I guess the callousness what, what strike me and the um, the brutality and uh, it, the barbarism has been used over and over. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm really um, glad in a way that many People like Christian leaders, I think, were watching it at the uh, Israeli embassy just uh, a couple of days ago. Members of Congress have seen it. Members of the Knesset have seen it. And I think the reaction is pretty similar. Um, Just really um, overwhelmed by the barbarity and the uh, reveling in the fact that, you know, the Jewish people are killed. And I think it speaks to the religious nature of this. It's in the charter of Hamas that they um, they want to destroy Israel and kill Jews. And I think that's part of the um, sentiment that many people have made. This is a battle between light and dark, good and evil, between barbarism and civilization. And I think all of that is true. And when you see the footage, I think that's the reaction uh, that many people have, like myself. And uh, But the honor of them, I think, was, I guess, the most profound thing I felt in my heart was that uh, these men and women, boys and girls, babies, 1,200 of them, and the 240 hostages, um, it was, um, it's a kind of a travesty that they won't be seeing their next birthday or going to a graduation or celebrating an anniversary. Uh, these quote-unquote normal lives have become, um, I guess, a symbol of what we're all facing. So thank you for that, Chris. How do how do you honor them? How have you done that? What has it been, two weeks or so since you saw the films? Yeah, I, I think um, by telling their story and by telling, um, I, I guess, in, in the best way we can, what is happening uh, after October 7th and why Israel is doing what it's doing. Uh, I think people forget that, and I think they... Um, may miss why Israel is doing what they're doing in Gaza. And uh, despite what the nations or media may say, they're doing it in one of the most humane ways possible, by warning people to get out of harm's way, by targeting uh, particular places. Um, And... So I, I think telling that story, I guess, would be one way to honor them. Thank you. Okay, great. Rebecca, I want to come to you because to your credit, we, we've never met actually like this until today. Yeah. Everyone else I've been together with and fellowship with. It's nice to have you here. 
but it was you who triggered the idea just by sharing your article, which I want to make sure to put in the show notes here uh, and sharing that you had been at the Israeli embassy in Washington, where yeah. it was shown to leaders there. What were your impressions uh, and um, what was your takeaway? Yeah, so um, it sounds like we did see the same footage, um, which is good to know. Um, what really got to me was um, this was towards the end and it was they were talking about the Nova Music Festival and some of the footage was actually from the first responders. So we kind of got a glimpse into their raw emotion um, at, at seeing these these poor victims. And um, it's at the Nova Music Festival. It looks like there's a bar um, and a first responder comes over and he says, can anybody show me signs of life? Is anybody, anybody alive? Anybody here? And these people are clearly dead. Um, there are missing limbs on some of them. Just, you know, they're clearly dead. Um, there's nobody showing signs of life. And you just hear it in this man's emotion. And he he's kind of walking by and he says, oh, that young woman's dead. That policewoman is dead. And it's just like, it, it's what those first responders went through. My My heart goes out to them. Um, and my thanks goes out to them and my heart goes out to um, the family members too, who that's, you know, I tried to really include in my article beyond saying this happened in the footage. And then we saw this is that these were real people. These were, they had families, they had names, they had stories. Um, and, and unfortunately that that's been stuffed out. So it, it, it's very important to um, never forget um, you know, we, we say that about the Holocaust. We also say never again, never again is now. Um, I, I've heard, um, I think that's a, that's a good refrain. It, it just, we, we really can't let people forget. That's what um, they were saying at the embassy before the, the film, uh, before the footage was shown. And I, I think that's so important to, to keep people um, abreast that something really horrific happened um, and it happened in our lifetime. So it, it's it's our duty to to speak up about it and write about it and, and do so as mm. as tactfully as possible, I think. Did you have trepidation going there, knowing what you were going to see? Oh, you bet. Did I have trepidation? Um, I prayed beforehand and I really think prayer got me through because I was expecting to be um an emotional wreck. And it and it certainly was um, you know, very upsetting to watch. But um, I really think prayer got me through. We prayed beforehand. Um, I was invited to go by the International um, Fellowship Christians and Jews and Bishop uh, Paul Lanier, who's also quoted in my article, including in my headline. Um, his prayer really got me through. And um, something I just I do want to mention is that um, how prayer played a role in that it was last Wednesday. So about eight days ago now, I was reading some coverage from the Jerusalem Post that just unspeakable horrors and not necessarily what was seen in the foot in the footage, but other stuff we read about stuff that's happened to babies and, and pregnant women. And I cried out to God and I said, what am I supposed to do with this information? You know, God, can't you help me not so much forget because we shouldn't forget. Um, although I think that is human nature in a sense, we don't want to think about this, you know, how do you help me to not dwell on it? God, please help me not let this haunt me. And God had other plans because uh, it was a few hours later after I prayed that I got an invitation to this footage. So God told me not only, no, you can't forget, um, but he gave me um, a task to expose myself further and then to use my platform to tell wow. people. 
Wow, uh, that, that's um, that's very stirring. Thank you for thank sharing you. that. Thank uh, you. Since, since we're seeing each other, Felicia, I'm I'm watching you actively nodding, relating to some of the things that Rebecca's saying. Well, first of all, where did you see the film? You're in Sweden, um, and what were your impressions? Um, so I watched it together with um a group of you know secular media uh, reporters from all the big. Uh, media outlets in Sweden. Uh, we were a group of maybe 15 to 20 uh, journalists. And um, um, the some staff from the Israeli embassy was there as well. And before I get into the my impressions of the actual footage, something that really touched me deeply, deeply, um, besides what we saw, was that you know friends and um and staff from the embassy they actually saw the footage for the first time themselves. Uh, they had seen some of them had seen clips before, but this was you know the first time they were watching. And I've heard different countries they've done you know different things. Some people in embassies in other countries they haven't watched it. You know they left the room while the journalists were watching, and you know but but here were some friends and. Um, I just looked at their faces after and they were pale and they were trying to hold it together to be able to answer um, questions afterwards. And this really touched me deeply. And, and um, the president of the Jewish uh, youth organization in Sweden, uh, she was um, a young girl, <laughs> you know, watched it, tried to watch it. I could see her turning her head away several times as well. And and uh, she said, you know, how she's sleepless at night and how she and her Jewish friends, they would always used to say, you know, if anti-Semitism is increasing in Sweden, which it unfortunately has been uh, for a while now, um, and they felt unsafe in many ways. And she said, we used to say we can always move to Israel because we'll be oh. safe there. Wow. And today we say to each other, where can we be safe now? You know? And this really, really touched me. I think this is one of the most important things for us as journalists also to write about, which is something I wrote about after that, you know, sure, you can have political opinions and all that. But we need to draw a line uh, when it comes to anti-Semitism that is growing and growing and has escalated uh, since uh, October 7 as well. Um so, so that was some of the reactions around. But obviously, the footage, it's the worst thing I have seen in my life, definitely. And I think that goes for, I had a colleague with me as well. He was writing about it as well. And he said the same thing. He said it was 43 minutes of hell is what he, the, the headline for his article was. 43 minutes of hell. Um, and what also struck me, the the... The footage, as Chris described it, was brutal. I have a son, he's 10. So the two boys that he's mentioning from the footage, they've been in my on my mind every day since. I don't know if they're alive or not. I hope, I'm praying to God, because it's, it's irrational. But, you know, I just hope that those two boys are still alive. And so, so of course, super emotional. But what also struck me is that the terrorists, they... It was not just, you know, a violent resistant movement impression. 
they were hunting down every person to make sure over and over again that they were dead. They would shoot at people already dead, but just to make sure, just to add some extra brutality, they would hunt every single person down and made sure that they didn't miss a person, a single person. So, so the cruelty and 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 the determination to really extinguish every single Jewish person they saw makes this brutality different. I will say, and I've seen a lot of conflicts, you know, uh, during these decades uh, reporting as a journalist, and so so that's some of my initial uh, impressions. Thank you for that. David, I'm going to come to you, but you're going to be the cliffhanger. First, we're going to take a quick break. Friends, Israel's at war, and the war may get worse before it gets better. Much worse. It's going to be a long war because the enemy is the epitome of evil. It's not just a matter of overcoming troops on a battlefield, but overcoming a theology, an ideology, an evil one. While the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation has been overwhelmed with the support of so many donations to the Israel Emergency Campaign, there's so much more that needs to be done. We've invested your donations that we've received so far strategically to make the biggest impact possible, whether helping with soldiers and their equipment and personal needs, to providing civilian security for outlying border communities, to relocating and settling several families from near the Gaza war zone, launching the global petition drive to support Israel in the face of pressure for a ceasefire and long-term needs for at-risk children, traumatized now more than ever before. Please take a moment to pause this conversation right now and go to love.genesis123.co and donate generously. We value your trust and we will keep all donors informed about how and where your donations are being used to contribute to make the biggest impact possible. And when you use that link, love.genesis123.co, you can also send your prayers and words of encouragement to Israelis of all backgrounds, just sending your love, something that we need so desperately. Thank you, and God bless you and your loved ones. Okay, David, you saw it here. I think when Chris saw it his second time, yeah? Yeah. Um, and that was at the government press office in Jerusalem. Uh, you've been in Israel a long time. You've seen, you've been close up where we had bombings in walking distance to your home. Um, things get gruesome here from time to time. What was your impression? Yeah. Look, I, I can, we had Chris Mitchell on earlier. I can remember, uh, a bombing uh, within two blocks of my house here in, in Abu Tor. And I just waited a little while before I went to look at it. I didn't want to see the early and, and I get over there and they're cleaning up and there's Chris with his camera guy. His office is about two blocks the other side, the CBN office. And we were there just watching and he's trying to do a stand up and uh, there were body parts around still and all. And it's not nice to, you know, yeah, 27 years here. I've been coming since 1982. I've seen, you know, a lot of carnage, a lot of bad things, but this was the absolute most horrific on such a mass scale. And the the absolute glee which they did it with 
which is documented in this film. It, it wasn't easy to watch. I, um, uh, I had already seen quite a few clips on social media, but I felt I, I needed to go bear witness. I, I've been a full-time Christian advocate for Israel for over 30 years. And this is such an important moment in Israel's modern history that I just, you know, you've got to, you can't look away. You have to go. I had already seen enough bad footage that I think, you know, most of what was in there, I could already um, handle it, um, except it helped give context. The clips were longer than what you saw on some of the social media. And because it's longer, you had a little more context to it, the different categories. Here's the burn bodies. Here's the music festival. Here's the home invasions. Here's where they were mutilating and stuff because they put it in different in different groupings. But, you know, the the dead bodies by some of the bus stops, these were elderly people that were getting up on a holiday, but they're secular and they're, they were waiting for uh, a bus to pick them up, senior citizens to go on a day trip to the Dead Sea. And to, I'd seen photos or little clips of those bodies before, but this film to help put it in a, a context that you're talking about people in their, in their seventies. Uh, just slaughtered waiting at a bus, a bus stop along Highway 232. And, and so you, you just get a better picture of the depravity. Um, the, uh, I think for me, the, probably the two hardest parts was seeing the exuberance, the joy, guys killing, Jews just, you know, like uh, Felicia said, some of them were already dead, but with his his camera, his body cam, he's shooting them so he can go back and boast, I shot him. You know, uh -huh. they were trying to thinking they were going to mount the, their own body count. Um, but, you know, they shoot a dead body and then they get two or three buddies all around them in front of a camera like a selfie. And it, very sick, and they're all yelling "Alu Akbar, Alu Akbar," and I don't ever, I don't ever want to hear that phrase ever. If I tell you, I, I won't. I, I'm not responsible for my actions. If ever, if someone ever says it in my presence, I, I don't know what I'll do. I, I, I'm, I'm a, a pretty pacifist guy. But uh, it was really depraved, sick to to see that. The other thing that is is hard for me to get past, because we were down in this area two days before uh, with around 700 Christians sure. towards the end of our big Feast of Tabernacles celebration. And on the very highway, we went to Sterot and held a solidarity rally with the mayor, uh, Ofer Lipstein, or the regional council. Two days later, he's the first named casualty. I introduced the guy, and he had a warm greeting, and two days later, he's dead. And we went and, and planted trees in a brand-new Christian embassy nature park near the Gaza border fence within 500 meters of it. 
uh, right, uh, and we had to go right by Kibbutz Ba'eri. And in all this area, Jonathan, over the last 15 years, we put about 150 bomb shelters, right. mobile bomb shelters at all the bus stops, at kindergartens, daycare, medical clinics, and uh, and also uh, a lot of firefighting equipment, all the arson balloons coming over. But some of these bomb shelters, the way they're made, it has to be pretty easy access when the rockets are flying that you can just run in and you go around a little wall and you're in a compartment where you're fairly well protected. But on the nature of the threat these people were facing, once that huge barrage of rockets came, there were a lot of people around the music festival at bus stops. All these shelters are there. We started putting them in. Others did it. They're all over the place. Very similar design. That design did not provide protection for these people. It, it, it Because you have to run into it so quickly that you can't have a door that you can close. And it actually, for in a few of the scenes, these bomb shelters became death traps for them. Right. It was easy for Hamas to trap them in there, throw grenades, do whatever. And that was, for me, it got very personal that we've invested millions of dollars in saving lives down there uh, from a from the rocket threat and these people then turn to these shelters yeah. for safety from this threat and in some instances it did not help and that that hurts it's uh and i really didn't uh i sort of knew it but this the footage that we saw really brought that home and i, I you know i came away sad about that Thank We're going to have to put some doors on those shelters somehow. Yeah, but the but the shelters were made for people to get in get, and run from a bomb. They weren't seconds. made from people throw, to prevent terrorists from throwing grenades inside. We got to do something. We got to do something. Well, I think maybe the answer is what the IDF is doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Prevent, prevent them from ever thinking about it again. Um, one of I'd the big... one thing, uh, Jonathan, yeah. I don't want to take too much time, but you know, as I said, I've seen some of the short clips of this already on social media. Uh, but the IDF and the way Israel, some of the families don't want this footage out there uh. and whatever. They're trying to guard and show it selectively to select audiences. But, uh, the, you know, this is just Western values and sensibility, sensitivities. But in the Arab and Islamic world, a lot of this footage was already up on social media by 7.30, 8 o'clock on the morning of Simhat Torah. We had Christian friends in Lebanon that we're connected with, we pray with, we worship with them. They, they actually have a heart for Israel, but can't express it, can't sure. do it openly. But they were sending us this stuff at 8 in the morning. We had finished our feast. It was the four, first morning you could rest in. The siren, the alarms went off in Jerusalem. So you got to wake up. You got to get up, get to your shelter. And you look at your phone, what's happening? Yes. They already sent us footage uh, that was already all through the Arab and Muslim world. Wow, I didn't hear that. Gruesome, gruesome stuff that that they everyone is celebrating and gleeful yeah. and spreading that in our 
sensitivities in the West, we don't do that. And that's a huge cultural difference that really stands out. Uh, indeed. So, uh, so I'm glad you, thank you for that. I'm glad you addressed the issue of how they should, the video should be seen, because initially there was a lot out there. And I suppose if you search for it, you can find the clips still. I, I'd hit in one video. I'm afraid of putting it up because I just don't want to get slapped down and taken and have my social media disabled for quote unquote violating community standards. But it's the most horrible piece of it that I've seen. Um, that they, I, they actually they actually went easy on us. Okay. Okay. It's much worse. Okay. Well, that that's I I think. The, the the clip that I'm speaking about and Rebecca, it's going to come to an article that you're going to get sometime is uh, is the butchering of the pregnant woman and her baby. And um, I asked the questions, you know, part of uh, I can't unsee that. I can't unthink it. Um, but so so the question is. You know, viewer discretion advised. Yeah, you need to go into watching these things, knowing that you can't unsee these things. It will forever scar your 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 soul. Um, but the but and and it's not the same as the Holocaust because there was no social media then, and so when there were videos that were made, you you no one was watching them on social media in different parts of Europe saying. Oh, that corpse is my uncle, and that is my uh, there's my mother, and that's my my daughter. Um, but th- I, I, I'm always thinking about what Pre- uh, well, General Eisenhower did at the time when he when he w- went into Dachau, I think, and made sure that everything was documented. And part of me feels that must be done. It is done, but it must be seen widely. And yet, of course, respect for the families and, as Chris said earlier, honoring them. Is it dishonoring, is my question, to be showing these things? Should should these videos be shown more widely so that people see what the horrors are? I'm wondering what the three of you think about that. Whoever wants to jump I, in. I think, that, I think they should be shown to, to everyone in Gaza uh, over and over over and over that's what they did Eisenhower did with the German people he in the area of Dachau he marched them through and there's footage of them uh women throwing up falling on their knees from the smell of death and seeing the piles of bodies they couldn't handle it and uh you know this Hamas ideology and and the joy of uh, murdering Jews and all. I think you show it to to Hamas and and its supporters until you drive them crazy. I don't know how. I your assumption, know, your better use of the material. Your assumption is that it will drive them crazy, and we eventually. We don't have, we eventually. Don't have, okay, okay, but should it be shown publicly? Should it be shown to people the same way we can go to Yad Vashem today and spend days in Yad Vashem? watching video of of horrific things that happen rebecca felicia i think um was something that eliav it was eliav benjamin he's the deputy head of mission he was at the event i went to um i wanted to make sure i got his name and title correct but he pointed out the reason they haven't made it available is because some of the families haven't seen it yet and that it's like okay that's 
I think the thing we need to keep in mind most. He also said that, um, trying to think if this is a direct quote, but they didn't want it in the hands of people who shouldn't see it because my concern is you have people doctoring the footage or, you know, causing enough doubt that people are going to be like, oh, well, somebody could have doctored that or somebody could have posted that on social media in a way. I don't I don't believe it. And I'm not talking about people in denial about how horrific it is, but just I do worry about the, the you know, social ills of technology and how people can use it for worse. I, mm-hmm. I do worry about it somehow um, children viewing it if it's available online or or just, you know, something of that. I do think people need to see it. I think they're going about it in a in a correct way. Um, there were like 100 people in my um in my screening um it was me and a few other journalists but it was mostly um spanish speaking pastors and, and people from churches so that they could then tell people i think that's a great way to start off i don't really know um if they have plans to make it more available more widely i don't envy them in, in making that decision i think the difference between um uh, the Holocaust, you said, mentioned time and and what was available at the time with, with social media technology. Uh, I, I think if that is going to be shown widely and publicly, I think it needs to be done through the utmost proper channels and proper care. Because just as we can't unsee that, they can't like, um, they can't like, you know, pull it back offline. I guess they could, but but people would, would still see it. And I just, I want to make sure it's done in a way that honors um, the people who need to be honored and is done properly. Cause I feel like we get one shot at, at showing it massively. It. Okay. Thank you, Felice. I want to come to you in a minute after this break. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth shattering event for Christians. It was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises today. We are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book. Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to blessed Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the Miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. Okay, Alicia, um, you said it was the most horrific thing. Should it be shown widely? Should Swedes, average Swedes, be able to see it? Uh, I I agree with a lot of what Rebecca is saying. Um, I don't think it's it's an easy just like sure blast it out, just you know put it anywhere. Um, I I wish that everyone would somehow understand how horrific it was, but I'm not sure how 
people that have maybe never experienced war in their life. They've never been close to to conflict. Uh, like you're you were saying already, you cannot unsee it. And and to be you know a pastor that's been that is you know mature has seen a lot of of maybe um, tragedy or a journalist or you know you have um, maybe a, a different way of of um, debriefing after and and you know pulling it apart. Uh, but I will definitely say it definitely needs to be documented as good as possible and then curated, put in context and shown to the world, just like the the uh, Yad Vashem was a good example for the, uh, the, the museum there. Uh, this is for sure, but just uh, put out on social media in any uh, shape or form. I'm not so sure about that. I that could harm more than it does good, you know. But just emotionally, you know, we had journalists in there saying after, you need to put this out, you need to put it out widely, you know. And then, yes, but there are a few buts in, in okay. doing that. Okay, this is important. I'm glad I asked you the question. So, Rebecca, you taught you you just um, uh, approached something that I wanted to ask you about in general. Um, there already have been, since the beginning, um, allegations that these are fake, that they're generated by AI, which was the first time I heard that, I mean, it was so outrageous. I, I want to, you're journalists, you're, you're grownups, you've been doing this in the world, you've experienced, you're not naive, you don't live in a bubble. Can any of this have been faked, done by AI? Um, I mean, I trust the, I trust my own eyes, first of all, you know, and my heart and the emotion I felt. I also trust the Israeli embassy and this very credible, uh, group that invited me. I don't, I, I think, um, it's interesting that you mentioned AI. Absolutely not. Um, I don't think it could have been doctored by AI, especially because the way the footage was shown, um, it was like CCTV, it was dash cams. It was body cameras. It was social media phones. That's not something like, you know, I'm not the, you know, AI has gotten a little crazy for me, but that, that was real. There's, there's no way that that could have been doctored. David, Alicia. Yeah, look, a substantial part of it was already up on posted by uh, Gazans themselves, the terrorists themselves on social media accounts within two or three hours Uh, that, you know, it's it's about as authentic as you you can get. So so if it had been faked. It would have had to have been created in some Israeli yeah. bunker by an intelligence before, yeah, yeah. But putting it into this the the social media feed of these victim alleged terrorists who really didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, this whole you know, question of oh, sorry, Felice. No, I was just going to add to you know the one of the basic basic rules as journalists uh, to verify. Uh, if things are true or not, is that you need to have a minimum of two to three uh, uh, independent of each other sources. 
uh, on something. And here in this case, you have so many different sources. As Rebecca was mentioning, you have the different cameras, but fine, they're they're not necessarily from independent sources. Then, well, I I, I mean they are, but I mean you you could question that, of course. Uh, but uh, then you have witnesses, uh, you have family, you have journalists that have been there from all types of media outlets. You have so many different sources that are not dependent on each other. So to verify um, this massacre. Thank you. It's a little like um, the whole phenomenon of Holocaust denial, which has several levels. You either deny it didn't happen or you you minimize it like uh, Mahmoud Abbas does. There might have been 600,000 dead. But then at the same time, you exaggerate it. Or, or Holocaust inversion, you you say the Palestinians have been through fifty Holocausts. <laughs> yeah. So you deny it or you minimize it, and and but then you twist it and say we've been through the same thing fifty times. And if you're going to lie and 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 live in denial and whatever, you know, there's only so much we can do with with people like that. I think the question of should others see it, I think it needs to remain selective uh, and people voluntarily coming. Uh, but I even understand uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what, AOC, one of the squad members, yeah. she actually went and watched it and came out in tears. Did maybe, she? I didn't know that. Maybe, maybe there are most anti-Semites, you waste your time talking to them. Don't do debates on TV or whatever. It's all that big mass of people in the middle that are persuadable on this. And maybe there even a, a few might even be affected on the other side. But so, uh, it's so that large uh, group in the middle that, that you can convince Okay. Uh, the justness of Israel's calls right now. And, and, Good. and, and this is the thing we, we've, all the ingredients are here for, for some of the rocket wars or the anti, the second intifada and, and everything and the second Lebanon war, the protests here, the whatever. But what happened on October 7th is so totally different and so horrendous and, and lot, not only life changing, but changing the life of this nation of Israel that to just say Israel you got to stop you got to stop forget it no one even the U.S. which is the only one who's ever been able to really put the brakes on Israel even they can't do it right now and yes good for Israel thank God uh, Rebecca you wanted I'm, it yeah yes I'm so sorry I just feel this is part I do feel very strongly about that um, David got me thinking when I hear talk about the Holocaust um I, I think in the sense that that happened so many decades ago in the sense that there wasn't the, the social media and the technology we have today. So my thinking of it is there's no excuse, not that, you know, there was an excuse for denying the Holocaust, but there's no there's really no excuse now. We have so much proof out there, uh, everything happening in real time. It just it, it frustrates me even more. You know, I understand not wanting to read, uh, watch the clips or read the reports myself. I can't even, you know, I have to skim or read the headline or whatever with some reports. But there's really no excuse to be denying what's going on now. So so thank you for that, which segues to where I wanted to go a little bit as we begin to wrap up, is that you're all journalists. Um, We've seen 
we've seen journalists equivocating. I don't know if journalists themselves had said, said that the videos are fake or it didn't really happen or babies weren't beheaded. I, 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 I can't ascribe that to any one particular uh, person, although I think there's a British former um, MK who, who, who said something, and I'm sure there are plenty. But but journalists have muddied the water with minimally with um, mo some moral equivalency and and making it sound like like the the UN Secretary General said we have to put it in context or Barack Obama said something like that. What do you say to journalists? And uh, Felicia, I, I especially admire how you framed what what a journalist needs by by way of determining veracity. What do you say to journalists who? haven't seen it and would and whether they're questioning the veracity of the videos or putting moral equivalency on it how do you as journalists speak to them uh good question uh jonathan um i mean you have a variety of of opinions and um and uh you have obviously great journalists that they're doing a great job covering this as well uh christian as well as secular but then you have those that you know, are are um, uh, questioning uh, everything. I think the discussions that I have the most with colleagues um, in the media industry is, you know, you have to make a difference in making a stand against anti-Semitism, completely condemning what happened on October 7, and talking about the 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 you know the long term conflict in about land uh, in between Israel and the and the Palestinians. I mean, you have to be able to keep uh, your thoughts separate and keep several thoughts at the same time in your head. So even though you might have previous been uh, critical as a journalist um, when it comes to let's say occupation, then you'll say, "Oh, Israel is occupying and so on land in this." Uh, has nothing to do, I would say, has nothing to do with completely condemning Hamas, what happened on October 7, and the the escalation of anti-Semitism uh, in all over the world, pretty much. So I guess that's the the, the debate we're, we're having here a lot uh, in between colleagues. Right. Thank you, David. Rebecca, do you want to add anything to that? What do you say to, to journalists? Absolutely. Well, first, shame on you. I mean, I consider myself a conservative journalism, um, the mainstream. So I can kind of talk, you know, about, I think, fellow journalists, but especially the mainstream um, media. And I just want to um, show a tweet and I will mind. I will. I can send you the link later if you want to share it with your viewers. All right. Um, there's the re replies have been restricted. It's from Adam Elmarek from October 10th. Uh, 2023 at 11.33 a.m., I believe he is with the LA Times, he said, the only source for, quote, Hamas beheaded babies appears to be the Israeli military, which is widely known to spread lies and disinformation. Wow. And next line he writes, journalists, this is the fog of war. You'll be seeing all sorts of claims. Don't amplify unverified sensational info. And that got me really passionate. And to, to you know, I, I will say I haven't um, since checked to see if he is, you know, changed his stance. I really hope he has. I really hope something touched his heart. But that tweet's still up. So I think that says enough right there. And yeah. replies have been restricted that that just, oh, that that cuts me. And then a, a few days later, um, the Israel Twitter account did share photos of um, 
babies that were burned and their their faces covered i think for they do that yes. um, you know for the identity and um and whatnot um and then there were more of those there were those foot um images and then even more of those shared in the footage i and it sounds like we all here watched so it's just it's shame on them you know i i understand if you're skeptical um i would hope it would be because this is too terrible to be true but that tweet was really irresponsible especially throwing in you know oh the israeli military is irresponsible sure. Can't we just focus on you know how horrible what happened was i mean you could i don't know i feel like you could do that in a in a different way and just there's there's a lot of shame involved with with that post and that tweet i feel like i want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. David, you want to? Exactly. Well, right. What would you say to some, some journalist friends who are doing things like this guy in L.A.? Well, look, I, um, I I'm, uh, spent many years on both sides of the microphone, both uh, had a radio show, did a magazine with the Jerusalem Post, uh, do our own magazine for the embassy, uh, but also interview all the time with journalists. And I, I have, uh, as a whole, I have a very low esteem for the profession <laughs> because of the way uh, Christian Zionists have been so misrepresented over the decades. And I experienced it uh, really heavily on all the hype before the millennium and all the uh, just outlandish reports that thousands of Christians were coming to Jerusalem with, and we get Jerusalem syndrome, or we're here to force the apocalypse, blow up the Dome of the Rock, all of that. I lost my respect. And uh, actually, opinion surveys um, show that, you know, people don't trust the president, they don't trust Congress, they don't trust this. And the media profession, the, the journalist profession, is in single digits at different times i'm telling you and social media has changed it the 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 way journalism is practiced that it's not there are very few real professionals left everyone's an activist and the okay. way that the idf says we're the most moral army in the world there are journalists out there with big legacy networks who are out there to prove them wrong uh, in, in a, you know, 
and with an agenda to yeah. prove them wrong. And this is, I mean, right now, the way PBC and CNN is mocking Israel, you really have no proof for, for attacking these hospitals. It's not enough yet, not enough yet. It really is very, very disappointing. So I, um, I, you know, as Christian journalists, we try and, and uphold the profession uh, and, and standards, but uh, it's really it's it's a bit hopeless out there right now I, you know everyone has to make their choices um rebecca was chatting with me because i know she has a hard stop and has to go and the head she's loving this conversation love to the extent that this is a painful conversation and maybe love is is, is an awkward word but it's an oh, yeah. it's no, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm so grateful for you for triggering the idea and for the, all of you for being part of the conversation because it's important. And I knew it was, I didn't know how good a conversation it would be. And I'm grateful to you, but I like to end it on sure. a personal note, on personal notes with you. Okay. You're a journalist, you're objective. You've, you, you're not, you're not necessarily objective about your, um, support for Israel. That's a moral thing. But but I don't think any of you would be shy about calling out Israel where, where Dan David, you did that in, uh, two months ago. We we're having a very different conversation before this war began. Um, but I'd like to speak personally, I'd like to ask you to speak personally. Um, what's the most personal touching thing for it? And Rebecca, I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot and start with you because until you sent me your bio today, I didn't know your husband was Jewish. Okay. Does that make, does that make this any more personal? I think it does. Um, it, you know, my, my husband, I would say we agree most on the Israeli issue um, support for Israel. I like to say how um, the first time I went to his apartment when we were first dating and I saw the Israeli flag, I thought, okay, this guy checks out, you know, <laughs> Um, I, it, it definitely is personal and, um, we are raising our girls to be both Jewish and Catholic and they go to Hebrew school. Um, and, and it just, you know, what a time for them to be, to be Jewish, even in the United States, um, where we are, you know, where it, it hasn't hit us in the sense that it has hit Israel, but there's a lot going on here as well in the rest of the world. Um, so it, I think it's also forced me to, Examine might be the wrong word, because again, I've always been pro-Israel, but it really like, that's where I am. I'm an unabashed Catholic Zionist. I get a lot of hate for it on social media. The heck with those trolls. Um, I went out and bought a um, a Jewish star necklace that has a cross in it um, that I wore to the event. And I kind of was holding on to it along with my rosary the whole time. Um, the, you know, I really... I ask God, why do I have, why does this have to happen in my lifetime? But also it, it happens in my lifetime um, be, because we have a duty to to act on it and to use our platforms to to talk about it. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, David, well, well, either one, David, you live here. You've lived here for 27 years. Yeah. You've got m maybe as many Jewish friends as you have Christian friends. This is personal. Mm -hmm. And you were down there two days before what what's most personal to you look we we've been down there for the last uh ever since the second lebanon war in 2006 it was the next year that we were the first ones starting to put in these 
mobile bomb shelters in Steroot and the whole area. And I've been there and there so many times to deliver and dedicate bomb shelters to deliver firefighting equipment. You get to know these people. Uh, the mayor over Lipstein, I introduced him at our rally and two days later, he, he's, he's gone. He's dead. He lost his mother-in-law. He lost two sons. Family just totally devastated. It makes it very personal. Uh, former Knesset member Shai Hermesh. I mean, uh, we were trying to call them that morning. We have their phone numbers, and you're trying to call oh, them and wow. reach them. No answer, no answer. And all that we've invested there in time, resources, uh, the connections we made. Uh, we just found out that uh, some uh, special radio transmitters that we gave to the regional councils, there were four or five kibbutzim that had those and realize what was going on and use those that it's they actually little radio transmitters save three or four thousand lives that's what the security chiefs are telling us and so it's just given us a a deeper bond with the people of this area and a just an absolute commitment we're going to help them rebuild great felicia you were down there just over six months ago and you, you're still connected to some people. Yeah, definitely. So I was um, visiting uh, Kibbutz Nirim, um, and uh, I was standing with a, um, a friend of mine there that lives there, Adele Raymer. Um, we were uh, discussing, we were doing some interviews, and we were discussing, uh, we were standing by the fence, the actual fence that was breached on October 7th. And um, I was asking her at that time, she was saying, you know, she was showing all the security protocols and she's saying, but this is just 5% of our life here. She said, we do what we need to do. Uh, if if rockets come in, we'll, we'll protect ourselves, but this is 5% and the rest is heaven, she said. And then I asked her, you know, because she's in contact with Gazans on the other side as well. She She's really been a, a worker for connecting with them and, and, you know, believing in a future of peace. And I was asking her, can you, you know, can you see this coming? And she said, yes, I, I truly hope for a, a, a flourishing, you know, um, area over there as well, she said, pointing there. And then a few months later, this happened and um, I was able to connect with her on a video call after uh, her kibbutz was invaded and just as you were saying David I was thinking when you said about the shelters because she was explaining to me she was hiding in her safe room with one of her sons that was there visiting at the moment otherwise she lives alone and she said the son her son had to hold the door closed because the safe rooms are not created to protect them from terrorists, you know, um, uh, just from from rockets. Uh, so that was one of one of the things that flashed before my mind when you were speaking, David. And then um, four, unfortunately, four people in her kibbutz was murdered, and and there's uh, still a few accounted for um, and taken hostage. Uh, and one of her dear friends I know is taken hostage, um, still believed to be in in Gaza. And I was asking her, you know, how do you survive something like this and and can you still believe in the future after this or you know and she said somehow I still can which I think is amazing I don't know how she does it um she said I can but now I'm really living also to tell the world so she's traveling like all over now to tell the world what really happened that day so you know in the midst of 
a huge darkness, there is these streams of hope, streams of light, and people really fighting for the light to win, which I think is very moving and touching as well. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And it's a, a, a an optimistic note on which to, to wrap up uh, Rebecca and Felicia and David and Chris, who had to cut out a little bit um, uh, earlier. But I want to thank you. It's been a very powerful conversation, very important. Um, I'm super grateful for the time and for your insight. Um, and, and, and Jonathan, certainly... sorry, but thank yeah. you for doing these types of conversation in the midst of everything. And also, I mean, David was speaking on, on the, you know, journalism. And I, I have to, you know, say, you try to support the journalists that are good uh, and to show that you still believe in journalism and they are important and Christians and Christian leaders. And so thank you so much for doing these type of things, yeah. even though you're there, you know, in the midst of all this. Well, for yeah. me, it's a little therapeutic. Good. I'm glad it's therapeutic. And I just, sorry, I'll turn this back on. And I did want to mention that um, I still very much plan to go to Israel. We're going to okay. go maybe 10 years from now, just because when our girls are older, when both Easter and um, Passover coincide. All right. So well, that, I, that hasn't changed that at all for me. I, I, I'd like to see you here in some professional capacity well before 10 <laughs> years from now. But yeah. we'll work on that. Thank um, you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Delightful conversation. Um, super, super important. Uh, I'm real grateful. Um, Thank you. As we've always been wrapping up the podcasts for the last almost two and a half years now, uh, we offer, we offer, we urge you to share this widely. So we just ask very simply that people go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and share uh, these con these conversations. And we have an incentive. And this this year, I think everybody here knows about our book. It's now officially published, and as we speak, on a ship to the United States, ready to be delivered with a thousand additional copies here in Israel. Um, Israel, the miracle, and every month, indefinitely for now, we are offering a free copy. It's a seventy-five dollar book of Israel, the miracle, to one person every month, just for liking, commenting, and sharing on uh, sharing one of these posts. So please go ahead and do that. Um, we're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and need something or just want to st stop in and thank them for, for making conversations like this possible, please do so. And special thanks to the Coyne family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and make conversations like this possible. Um, Especially in the in the context of Chris Mitchell's opening comments, honor them. We would be remiss if we didn't dedicate this episode in the memory of those who were who were massacred on on the seventh um, of October and those who have fallen since. Um, if you would like to sponsor an episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special event, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail dot com. And as always, we'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue especially with questions you have about traditional Judaism or our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here where we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. 
wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and all your loved ones are safe and healthy. And I send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.